Hello, and welcome to episode 121 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the highly improbable yet wacky hijinks. This week we're going to be talking about adventures in babysitting on your Cleveland is Dead podcast. I'm Andy Kay, and when I'm not roaming the streets of Chicago with three young children, you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Last week, I told you to follow me on Instagram for all the exciting cake stuff. After the cake mess I made this morning, please don't. Uh, <laughs> don't find me anywhere. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Aww. I still want to try all of your cakes, Matthew. <laughs> oh, that's because you're very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I know you heard us say this last episode, but we are going to continue to ask for you to take uh, the survey that we have up of our listeners. We are trying to learn more about you. So no matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to the show, please help us out and go to eloquentgushing.com slash survey. It is quick, easy, and anonymous. This week, we are joined by Justine Gendron. She is co-host of the Cutaways Movie Podcast about romantic comedies, which is pretty amazing. Matthew, there might be a lot of movies she's talked about that you actually haven't seen. Possibly so, so, Justine, tell us a little bit more about your show and what you're doing here with us. <laughs> Hi. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Yay. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. Yeah. Yay. I'm a fan. <laughs> so uh yeah on the cutaways podcast uh my best friend ashley and i are uh you know studying the rom-com genre and taking it seriously as two filmmakers who are working in hollywood currently and you know we just wanted to focus on this genre that pretty much is about women is for women not necessarily made by women and examine it to see like what it's doing right what it's doing wrong and as we've kind of gone through it from its you know early days and now we're in the early 2000s kind of like our current uh feminist lens uh, shall we say on mm -hmm. how the film ha how the film genre has evolved? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's great. I know you just did Down with Love, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm really excited too. <laughs> it's it's so good and so embarrassing because I think we just we talk a lot about how Hugh and McGregor is shirtless in that movie, <laughs> <laughs> as you should absolutely. <laughs> Um, so why Adventures in Babysitting? Uh, when you saw the list, this was one that you absolutely said you were interested in doing. So is this a movie that you have been watching since you were a kid? Yes, 100%. I have been watching this movie since I was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it would be interesting to talk about. I like to pick movies that, you know, are, I mean, we talk about rom-coms all the time and, you know, they're not necessarily the genre that I grew up watching. I grew up watching more adventure-y, you know, type of movies. So, like, this one is kind of near and dear to my heart of, like, yeah, I grew up with it. Um, I thought it would be interesting to evaluate with you guys. Cool. When we talk about films you've not seen, Mandy, it's often because mm -hmm. they're much older than you are. They're black and white. It's a genre you've never been interested in. Teen hijinks released in the late 80s with some silliness and some dancing in there. I can't find why you've not seen this. I know, it's terrible. I honestly don't remember this movie. I I don't even know that I knew it existed until we put together this list. It <laughs> just was never on my radar, and I don't know why. Fascinating. It's It's not one that I ever hear people talking about. That's fair. I think we can touch on that, maybe. Okay. Okay. Well, Adventures in Babysitting is a 1987 comedy written by David Simpkins, and it is the directorial debut of Chris Columbus. It stars Elizabeth Shue, Maya Bruton, Keith Coogan, and Anthony Rapp. Columbus reviewed over 100 scripts for his debut, but he chose this one because he thought the scale was small enough that he could get it right. 
Paramount Pictures had the right of first refusal for the film, but demanded that Molly Ringwald be cast in the role because they thought she was the only one who could give it commercial appeal. She turned it down, and eventually it ended up at Disney's Touchstone. Elizabeth Shue ended up with the role after more than 100 women auditioned. In 1989, CBS shot a pilot for a spinoff TV show starring Jennifer Guthrie, Joey Lawrence, and Brian Austin Green. While it wasn't picked up, it did air once, and you can actually watch that episode on YouTube. We will link to it in the show notes if you can get through the horrible, horrible quality of the video. Adventures in Babysitting is also known as a night on the town in certain countries, Mm. which I thought was interesting. I think um, while it did get released in the UK on VHS as Adventures in Babysitting, Wikipedia indicated that when it is shown on TV, it still airs as a night on the town. Can you confirm that, Matthew? Uh, I can't confirm. I'd be amazed if not, like, I, I remember, so I saw this, I think we rented it from the video store, as you would. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely called Adventures in Babysitting. Okay. Well, if you haven't seen it, um, IMDb says a babysitter must battle her way through the big city after being stranded there with the kids she's looking after. Which is very grandiose. <laughs> <laughs> it made me giggle. Yeah, it makes it sound way bigger. Uh, although, like you say, there's all the wacky hijinks. There is something lovely about it's It's because they like need $50. Right. It's so low stakes compared to particularly any film that's released today. It's like a babysitter needs to get in town or the world will end. <laughs> right. This was just about trying to get to her friend. Yeah. And then fix her mom's car. Yeah. You know, it, it was... You know, just like Chris Columbus said, it was a smaller scale thing, which Mm. totally makes sense. So is it available in the US? Can you stream it anywhere? How have you two been able to watch it? It is available to rent on Amazon, surprisingly enough. I own it on DVD. Nice. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Matthew? Where did you find it over there? Uh, I rented it on Google Play. Uh, You you can also rent it on Amazon as well. I just had the Chromecast open, so I went for that one instead. (laughs) Always go for the convenience. Too many options. Um, you said Chris Columbus, directorial debut. I did not realize that. Um, Elizabeth Shue is our star. Can you talk a bit about where you've seen them before? Well, we have talked about Chris Columbus before um, because he also directed Christmas with the Cranks. Mm. Um, but he is probably the one director that I've seen most of his stuff. I was shocked. Um, probably most notably, though, Gremlins and the Goonies, which he wrote, not directed. Um, and he directed Mrs. Doubtfire and the first two Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. And Rent, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He did Ugh. do the Rent movie. <laughs> oh. movie adaptation of Rent. <laughs> oh, dear. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Not everybody has to like what I like. It's totally fine. No, no, no. It's just, I, I am very, very particular about uh, musical adaptations. I'm a big musical fan. <laughs> Well, I saw the movie before I saw the musical. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why. I mean, they're very different. Like, I, they're not the same thing. And yeah. I totally own that. Um, I love, love the Broadway show. But the movie has a special place in my heart. Just because I cool. saw it first. Yeah. Elizabeth Shue, I know her name really more than anything else. And I know she was in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. I think not all of them, though, no, right? two and just, three, yeah. Just two and three. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I forgot to look her up, but I'm looking at her list now, and I'm not sure that I've seen anything else that she's done. <laughs> I know people who are, like, big Elizabeth Shue fans and will just watch her entire catalog. Like, uh, Peter from Podstalgic, he's a big Elizabeth Shue fan. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm looking at her list, and I don't think... Gosh, I haven't. Oh, she was in the Karate Kid. I've seen that. <laughs> I don't remember her, but I know who she is. Like she has a name and a face that mm-hmm. people are familiar with in American pop culture. So there's that. She does have a perfect '80s look. It worked yes. very well in this. It's similar material. Uh, there was one film that I particularly wanted to mention. I think this is the, the discussion on its longevity. Um, yeah. Have you seen? What can you think of that's similar to this? The only thing that I could think of that's similar to this is Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Okay. Which was a couple of years later, I think? It was. It was 1991. Right. And yeah, definitely. Also like- had Keith Coogan in it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, at, towards the end of the movie, it has a very Ferris Bueller well, vibe. <laughs> that's exactly the thing. It, it, it has been a long time since we watched Ferris Bueller. Can you remind us what you thought of that film? Oh, I hated Ferris Bueller. <laughs> I hated that movie. I don't honestly even well. remember why. No, okay, it's because I hated the character Ferris. Mm. I hate Ferris with a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like I've kind of blocked out that movie a little bit so i wasn't picking up on ferris bueller vibes so you might have to like get me there well with ferris bueller i think that movie's much more of a love letter to chicago Mm -hmm. whereas this movie's like do not ever go to chicago (laughs) okay that's fair ferris bueller is one side of the tracks the elevated train (laughs) this is the other side uh yeah I think it's more, yeah, Ferris Bueller, if you want to explore the north side of Chicago, Mm. the the adventures of babysitting, if you get lost in the south side of Chicago. (laughs) Okay. I'm not familiar enough with Chicago to have picked up really on that difference, although I can definitely see the differences in tone between the two. I I lived in Chicago for nine years. Yeah, I went to to college there, which is, I think, like, as soon as I, like, got to the city, I fell in love with it. It reminded me of this movie. When you see, like, the the building, you're like, yes, yes, I'm going to go climb on that. No, but it just, uh, this movie did not deter me from living in Chicago. (laughs) Oh, that's good. And I, I don't think it would town. deter me from living in Chicago either, um, mostly because I don't believe I could ever be as unlucky as these four people were. <laughs> ever? Yeah. It, it makes me think, because I was watching this going, I wonder which one came first, because it, it felt so similar. There was a bit of ripoff going on, but they came out within like six months of each other. So it makes me wonder if one of, one of them had the script going around Hollywood and someone said, oh, I like the idea. I don't want to buy it, mm-hmm. so they made their own version, as happens with like Armageddon and Deep Impact and mm-hmm. Churchill memoirs and so on. <laughs> I wonder if that was kind of the thing. Kids go on an adventure in the town, and stuff happens. That wouldn't surprise me. I read that. I mean, Simpkins essentially wrote it on spec, um, right. and when he shopped it around, he didn't have a fully fleshed out script. It was, I have an idea. It's going to be kind of big and grandiose and adventures in a city, mm-hmm. and so maybe, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And John Hughes had been doing Chicago movies for a couple of years already. Yeah, I would absolutely believe that John Hughes had already had the the fair script out, and and Simpkins was like, "Oh, I can I can build on that." Mm. That wouldn't surprise me. Okay, so having now watched Adventures in Babysitting, Mandy, did you enjoy it? I did. Yay. Yay. So lovely. I, I like it when we watch movies I enjoy, and I really don't have a ton to rag on about it. <laughs> the last couple of movies I've enjoyed that we have had to kind of get through all of the problematic stuff, and then we can gush about it. But this one I just really liked. Can you give me some more detail on that? What did you like? Is it situation, performance, character? It was just fun. It was entertaining. It was enjoyable. It... It didn't feel like, I mean, it wasn't too long. I wasn't looking at my watch going, when is this going to be over? I was genuinely kind of caught up in their adventures, wondering how they were going to get out of it. Okay. (laughs) I think. Like, it just, it was an entertaining story. I mean, it wasn't intellectual or anything. It was just, it was just fun. It's wacky. (laughs) It is wacky. It is is super wacky. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth Shue is adorable. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with that, especially like every time like something even wackier happens, she just has to maintain control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wearing her grandpa's coat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I'm in charge. This is not spiraling. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I will admit, I don't think the movie aged very well. It's okay. It is definitely a product of the '80s. I mean, it's not as bad as Animal House was, but it definitely does have a few problematic moments in it. Um, but nothing that made me dislike the movie. They were all things that I could dismiss as this is a product of its time. Mm-hmm. And totally. if somebody remade this movie today, which apparently they tried to do in 2016, they wouldn't do. I mean, Daryl's character probably wouldn't even be in the movie. <laughs> oh, Daryl. So is that Anthony Rapp? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, that for me is the one that stands out i mean his voice is exactly the same you know it's him Mm -hmm. (laughs) he sounds still exactly the same these days but having him as this 
a kid with ginger hair <laughs> who was aggressively hetero and a bit gross. It's really strange seeing it coming from him. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I, I completely get it with like you know young actors taking any job that kind of thing. But I, the character in general, except for the fact he's the one who steals the Playboy, which there are a million ways you could do that beat. I don't know what he adds to the film. Yeah, he's a bit of a troublemaker character, a foil for Chris, which, I don't know, all the kids were... I mean, like, even at the end, Sarah is, like, so irresponsible, where she's just like, I'm stealing food, I'm walking away. Yeah. Like, ah, kids. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I feel like, I don't know, they wanted... Like, if you take the aspects of Daryl's character and put them into... Brad, I don't think it works oh, no, if yeah. you want to have like Brad have a viable crush on Chris. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't know, Daryl is just like that kid. You're just like, ugh, ugh, stop being the worst. Grow up already. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like they took Daryl and Brad and made them both extremes at either end yeah. of the spectrum so that when yeah. you have them both in the movie, you kind of get a balanced teenage boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it would be boring to have a balanced teenage boy. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like these days you do still get characters like that, but by and large, it's the sort of bully, uh, you yeah. know, jock type who is actually the ends up the butt of the joke rather than a, you know a Learns main character. A lesson. Yeah, absolutely, or or gets pushed into manure. That kind of you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all I'm thinking of is he grew up to be John Hamm's character in Bridesmaids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that that's the one that stood out as, like, you could probably cut a lot of that and not change too mm-hmm. much. But other than that, you're right. This is just a good jape with kids having a wacky adventure with criminals and blue singers. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's good fun for that thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was shocked, absolutely shocked, though, to hear the word fuck in this family-friendly movie mm. not once, but twice. That's like one of the best lines, though. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. And I loved it, but I just didn't expect it because I think I expected this movie to be PG. I, I don't ever look at ratings. and Yeah, but I mean, just, like, that was PG for the time. <laughs> I, it's PG-13 now, and I, I didn't go back and look and see if that had, is something that had been changed once I know the rating system changed at some point in the 80s. I think thanks to Steven Spielberg. Yeah, the, the old joke is there's one F in PG-13. And, like, you're allowed it once somewhere, but you can't push it mm-hmm. too often. So, yeah, coming twice in a row like that, I'm like, oh, wow, and we've just seen him stabbed in the foot. Crikey. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just, to hear Elizabeth Shue say it, though, that was delightful, mm-hmm. but shocking. I, I do like how there are vibes of films like The Warriors and West Side Story with the gang stuff. And they've got these, these fairly little knives, but again, it's still high tension because no one else has a weapon. Whereas now you'd have to have mm-hmm. them having like really imposing knives or something because we're all right. desensitized to violence. But there is something kind of, you expect them to do the West Side Story clicking at each other as they, they go oh, into a dance yes. fight. And <laughs> I haven't seen West Side Story. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I picked up on the similarities, the the red and the black and the, you know, the two opposing gangs. I did, like, immediately think, I think that's probably from West Side Story, but, yeah, no, I haven't seen it. So. Okay. Oh, that, that I would have expected to be right up your street. Okay. It is. I don't know why I haven't seen it. Mm. You should see it. Put it on your list. Mm. I think I will. If it's not actually already on there, it might be. So, we mentioned Chicago. Why is it always Chicago. Chicago's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chicago, and we actually talk about this a lot on the cutaways Mm -hmm. because Chicago is often a rom-com city Mm. as well. And I think it's because it's, it's more like down home. It's not like, it's not New York where people are business people and it's not LA where people are like fabulous superstars. It's real blue collar people who live in Chicago. Uh, Okay. But you can still do yep. downtown skyscraper, big city stuff. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the skyline in Chicago is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though this one in this movie was not was not accurate. That was some terrible super <laughs> garbage. <laughs> but if you're not from Chicago, you probably wouldn't pick up on that. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't, but that could also mean I'm just really unobservant sometimes. I don't know. They, I think they wanted to make it look... 
I well, predominantly they wanted to feature that building, which mm-hmm. is in the skyline off to the right and kind of turned a little bit, you know? Oh. So they just like brought it forward and then threw some like L tracks in front of it, which are not there. They're more the ones that they're featuring there would be in the loop, which would be more behind some buildings. I mean, yeah, the when you're seeing the city in the movie, it's it's completely made up. (laughs) Except for when they're like driving on the expressway and like Sarah looks out and she's like, Thor lives there. Aww. <laughs> Which I love Sarah. The, the whole Thor thing. I I, mm-hmm. I think Mandy, with you particularly, we're going to get into this more. But I think the Thor crush works even better now. Mm-hmm. I, oh, absolutely. It is is part of it because he's a a, a non copyrighted character, so you can feature <laughs> him without necessarily paying dues to Marvel. Maybe oh, I'm not sure. Uh, no, I think I mean because they used the imagery from Marvel. Mm, it was sure. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, she had the posters and the the hat and all of that stuff. And Mulmul. <laughs> and Mulmul. <laughs> yeah. um, can we talk a bit about Chris, our protagonist? I really like that she's got this kind of Disney esque opening of her singing a song, and it's not an "I want" song, but it does end up with her making a comment of like, "I want the best night of my life." Mm-hmm. Which through other means she ends up getting. So it has this nice sort of Disney fairy tale thing going on with it, despite it being uh, a bit more mature than normal. Mm-hmm. I, I I like her kind of journey through the film. I don't know that she comes to any resolution at the end of it. I don't feel like she's grown or changed or anything in particular. No, no, I had written that down too because of like that particular thing in the beginning where. Brad's like, are you going to college? And she's like, oh, God, my mom put these books in my purse again. Ugh. But then like at the end, we, we get nothing, even though she likes that college guy. Mm. I don't know. I don't. That's something like as a kid, I never really thought of and evaluated at all because like I didn't care about the romance aspects of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the only actual positive growth that she has is when she stands up to Bradley Whitford. I can't remember his character's name. Mike? Mike. Mike. You know, when she actually, she realizes he's at the restaurant with somebody else, she goes in and confronts him. And I feel like that's growth on her part. But it's still such a small thing that by the end of the movie, she's still really kind of in the same place. Yeah. Uh it, yeah, it's a semi awkward scene because mm. it's a lot of tell as well. Where mm-hmm. she goes up to him and she's just like, "Oh, sister's sick, huh?" And he's like, "Whatevs, you weren't giving me any." <laughs> Best reenactment ever. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it becomes about the kids standing up for her, the guys. Like, it doesn't become her growth moment. It right, becomes like yeah, she doesn't own the moment. Yeah, it, it, not as bad as with the gangs where they're saying, "Oh, you know, he can't call your woman that." Like, no, she's your babysitter. <laughs> she can deal with this man. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how her character's only seventeen, but she's already got the "I'm getting too old for this shit" like <laughs> attitude yeah. through the whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, if if babysitting is usually like this, then absolutely <laughs> she's getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I love it. That's just her straight up MO. Yeah. <laughs> like she's like, I'm about to retire. <laughs> I'm two days from retirement. <laughs> exactly. That's like what it. this movie is. <laughs> One last babysitting hurrah. Mm. Aw. Alright, I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. One of the most iconic scenes from this movie is singing in the blues bar. <laughs> Does that scene work from you? Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorites. I think it's the mo- one of the most iconic scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. And and it just it, you you love it and it works for you on like all levels. Uh, yeah, but I'm also completely biased. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about you, Matthew? I I I really like the impromptu dance singing thing. I and I like it in most films. There is that side of it of. And suddenly they're able to give her backing vocals really well. And they're all able to come up with their own lines. <laughs> and hey, look, these feet, the beats exactly well. I've got the baby 
probably not, but it is still really enjoyable for what it is. <laughs> okay. What did you think? I think I'm the exact opposite of you. I love the actual singing aspect of it and like the performance that they do. They're having so much fun. I think mm-hmm. setting that in the middle of the story while they're on their run from these very dangerous men who are trying to hurt them is scary. And it it made my heart beat really, really fast and oh. I didn't like it. Even oh. though it did end up helping them get away, mm-hmm. it was just, it felt so out of place and inappropriate. I could see that. I mean, I think it has to be in the movie because it's Chicago. It's Chicago, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what Chris Columbus thought, too. It it wasn't in the script, and he was like, we have to do blues. Um, So they did it. And, I mean, it looks like they were having so much fun up there. And so, like, if you take the scene in a vacuum, I really like it. Yeah. Which is kind of where it ended up in the script. Yeah. I think is where I don't like it, just because it it had the potential to go so, Mm -hmm. so wrong. No, I can definitely see that. And I feel like, for me, I do enjoy the scenes in vac in a vacuum okay <laughs> all right it's like i feel like as a kid watching it i would just check in check out you know like oh here's this part i like and then just like <laughs> do something else you know mm-hmm. oh exposition i'll go to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're kissing again <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk some of the romance stuff in this. Um, y- you know, the crush on the babysitter is very cute, although the film takes it way too seriously. Um, mm-hmm. It's like he thinks there is going to be a chance there, which is never quite shut down enough. But then when they get to the party and she's chatting up mm. the cute guy and gross young Anthony Rapp is off, Possibly getting it on with a college girl. <laughs> I, I almost expected uh. it to call his bluff and like she's actually leading him off. And he goes, no, no, I'm way too young for this. And bails. And it's kind of him. Perhaps I should act my age every so often. But no, it keep, it just keeps going. And it's the other people who come and bail him out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was super uncomfortable watching. Yeah. I think in my notes, I was like, I really, really hope they're not about to have this child go have sex in this movie. <laughs> They didn't, thank goodness. I think that's one of the things that's of the times that you would just totally also get in a John Hughes movie. Mm. Yeah. Boy just tries to lose it for the first time. Yeah. No matter what the odds. With a girl who sees him at a party and decides to pick him up. He's not that good looking. I mean, Anthony Rapp is quite a pretty guy, (laughs) but he's not that good looking. Well, he's also clearly like 12. Yeah, that is fair. That was the thing. I mean, his character's 15, but 15. I don't know how old he actually was, but he looks 12. Uh, he was, I think he was 16. It's, I think him and Sarah are the two who are pretty much the age they're playing. Mm. Okay. Sarah, the girl? Yes? Yes. Mm-hmm. The sister, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whereas the older teens, they're all mid-20s at least. They're basically Buffy actors by this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, to go back to your, your previous point, though, I, I do think that she did try to shut him down because she hmm. flat out laughed in his face when he asked her out <laughs> and told him, you're a child. I mean, that's yeah. pretty harsh. And for him not to give up at that point kind of puts everything on him after well, that, I think. Well, I also feel like they're not even friends. Mm. Like, that's what he says at the end. Like, hey, when we see each other in the halls at school and you're a senior and I'm a freshman, you could, you know, completely ignore me and I wouldn't feel sad. And she's just like, okay, we're friends now. So it's like, how can he even expect to have a relationship with someone he doesn't even know is not even friends with? So, well, I mean, he's 15. Yeah. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> I know she could have been nicer about that. I'd be like, listen, dude, like, we uh, don't even know each other. I am going to be 18 soon, which would make this very illegal. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Sorry, bro. I I wasn't sure how old Brad and Daryl were supposed to be until they finally said their ages at the end. Yeah. I was like, oh, 15. Okay, some of this makes me feel better. You know, than <laughs> if he is really like 12 or 13. But especially whenever she threw the you're a child line at him, because I wouldn't expect you to say you're a child about a 15 year old. Yeah, she definitely is a bit shitty that way, where she's just talking to someone two years younger mm. than him, than herself, essentially. So, yeah, but 17 year olds so think they're the shit. Yeah. 
and they're you know older and wiser than everybody else in the world and right. more grown up and suddenly you can drive yeah so all the characters are shitty <laughs> <laughs> yeah but in a very realistic way yeah mm. see they're they're kids they're teens <laughs> The one piece of realism in this movie. Could anybody else have this shitty of luck, honestly? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't stop. Um, can we talk about that Playboy? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's it's a interesting choice for a plot device. Mm. <laughs> it, the, the criminals, is the point that they are stealing cars to order? Are they basically the, the gone in 60 seconds plot, but we're not supposed to be sympathetic to them? I guess. I don't know. I always kind of felt like they were drug dealers, but they're not. But they act like drug dealers. Mm. Yeah, their their characters were really wildly inconsistent with what they were telling us they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surprised to see this, first of all, this very kind car thief yeah. show up in this garage full of businessmen who are car thieves too you know kind of running like a car mafia thing mm-hmm. it was all very strange and then to have the the playboy be the driving force behind the ensuing hijinks from that point forward is like you said it's just not good <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, really, would these businessmen businessmen really put their car thieving notes in a magazine? No, no, I yeah, I don't know why. Why would they do that? And, it, and it's on a Playboy that has mm-hmm. someone posing who looks like our protagonist. So, I, I mean, for part of it, I just wondered. Okay, did they go out to the magazines and say, you know, if you give us a hundred thousand dollars, we will use your magazine as our plot oh, point? Oh, sponsor, yeah. <laughs> But then the fact that they make this whole thing that she looks like the girl in it, is it just they wanted to use Playboy so they could do that gag? Because that, that as, a, as a point, doesn't come to anything. I keep expecting it to be like, oh, she'll pretend to be her to get in the club at some point or something. I feel like it's a subtle way to keep telling the audience of like, people want to have sex with Elizabeth Shue. She's <laughs> totally attractive. <laughs> mm. on, on top of the teens telling us that. yes but they don't they don't go anywhere with it so it it it, i i can't decide if it is like you say sponsored sponsored placement or something yeah well i mean it does drive the the frat guys to talk to her that's true and then smooth frat guy who looks like paul rod comes and shows him away (laughs) i'm so glad i am not the only one who thinks he looks like paul rod (laughs) the bad haircut yes um, I did read, she did actually pose for that Playboy thing, and she said it was the most uncomfortable thing she had ever done in her life. Oh, really? Oh. But I still don't know why it was in the movie. Yeah, it doesn't. I want it to come to I something. I mean, unless it's just because, I feel like in, in the 80s, and, and this has more to do with Playboy than actually her being in the Playboy. It's so, like, I understand why the Playboy was such a big deal for Daryl. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what kids did. Back then, you know, Playboy was something that your dad had, and it was this source of mystery, and you knew you weren't supposed to look at it, so you would, you know. And and so Daryl having the Playboy and then being upset that he lost it because it was his dad's and he was going to get in trouble, and that's why he Mm -hmm. stole the other one. That all makes perfect sense to me. But her lookalike in the centerfold, although I guess really that's what got Daryl to bring it over to show Brad. Yeah. Maybe that's why. But I don't know why they kept referencing it unless it was just, you know, they did it once. They need to do it again. I don't know. I'm not really going anywhere with this thought. Yeah, it just it, it keeps coming up. It's a shame they don't do anything with it because there is the kernel of a decent idea there for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, on the other side of that, exactly the, the point you made earlier. Yeah, it's really weird that they wrote their criminal ideas in a Playboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I like that. ADR line that they do when they're getting into the car like we gotta get that magazine back it's got all my notes for the Philadelphia order that could put us away for 20 years <laughs> I'm like wow this this obviously did not test well and so they had to add that in post to explain why the this magazine was important mm. to these guys right yeah I mean it it made sense to me because they kind of were very obvious about showing all of the writing on the centerfold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they really didn't need 
the extra exposition. And again, it's nice to have a low stakes MacGuffin. Just, it's, it's just a magazine that's all they're after and it's just, you know, 40, 50 dollars. Great. <laughs> yeah, this whole movie is based off of $40. Mm. The plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If she just had because, only paid yeah. $40 to Brenda, she wouldn't have had to do any of it. Yep. But then she would have never known that her boyfriend was cheating on her. She never would have met the new hot guy. She never would have became friends with the kids and then retired with grace and dignity. Mm. <laughs> grace and dignity. I love it. <laughs> I, yeah. I do like Brenda's storyline. And I think that's what reminds me so much of Ferris Bueller, because it's very much like the um, principal dean of students, oh. whatever his role was, um, that she's going through all these really strange, random things. And it's <laughs> it, it's almost like it's presenting her vision of what it's like. Like, I don't think that guy stood there waving a gun at her. Right. It's just she's kind of, there's a bulge and I'm really scared. And it's it's what she's imagining is happening. And I don't know. You guys have never been to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> at least when I lived in Chicago at that point, it was currently the murder capital of the U.S. Really? Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> but would a random person across the room from you just kind of look at you with this really creepy grin <laughs> and then pull a gun out of his pants and wave it around? I don't know. It's the eighties. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe that's more realistic than than either Matthew or I could give it credit for. I don't know. I don't know. But also, I'm like, I grew up with this movie. Anything could be possible, right? Okay. I really enjoyed the chairs in the bus station that all had their own TVs. Yeah, I have not ever experienced that IRL. Yeah, I was like, that's really cool. Can we do that now? Mm. So. pretty high tech for what is supposed to be rubbish bus station right yeah exactly which i'm not even sure that that like quote-unquote bus station really exists it looked like it was on state street across from like the the marshall fields i don't know the, the I, was, I was trying to figure out the the chicago continuity and it was a bit wacky of course <laughs> Well, I mean, I think in a world where all of these things could happen is a world where Chicago could look like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's true that like where they were in the loop at the time, it was like the red light district. And, and that's where I went to college. I mean, it was completely changed by the time I went there. But right. Interesting. Mm hmm. Chicago's cleaned up a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't place which city it was. And I think there's a point where they go up the elevated train or go past it or something. And I was like, ah, it's like Blues Brothers and Fugitive and all these other mm. films we've seen. Yes. <laughs> so it must be Chicago. Mm. Which is, I guess, the big city of the Midwest? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we know that you love this movie, Justine. Can you pinpoint like some specific favorite moments or is it just this whole movie? Uh, yeah, I've got a few favorite scenes. The opening scene with her singing along to the crystals. Mm. I definitely have have replicated that in my youth because I had a canopy bed just like hers. <laughs> oh, I wanted nice. a canopy bed so bad and I never got one. Aww. It is perfect for pretending you have a mic stand. <laughs> um, I love that. I love babysitting blues as we talked about. I love the, the rival gangs on the L. I love that Mr. Dawson is actually Thor, like is Thor 100%. <laughs> and I love the scene, like and when it gets after that, I'm just like, I forget about everything else. And I just want to see Sarah climbing on the edge of the building. <laughs> it, she is just so unfazed by it. You, you, yeah, plus, like, the winds would have knocked her off two seconds Yeah. she did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she is a very little thing out there, but... <laughs> and I love that the bad guy goes out after her. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 nobody saw her, nobody at the party mm. saw this, like, thing moving right outside. <laughs> yep, nope, 150 people all had their backs to the window. It's fine. Yep. Mm. Totally normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the opening sequence is, it, it, it's incredibly charming to see her properly rocking out and enjoying this song. I, I, I feel like it sets up the film really well because it's not, it's not male gazy and it feels like it could be. If, mm -hmm. if it's about, no, her it's something interest. like we, yeah. we 100% all have done. <laughs> oh, yes. I think I watched it a couple of times just because I thought it was 
delightful and wonderful. And it, it's not something that, especially from a movie, movie from the 80s, mm-hmm. that you would expect to see. You would normally expect to see that male gaze. And just to see her enjoying herself while she's getting ready, doing what teenage girls do, was nice. Mm-hmm. So, Mandy, did you see anything in this? What was what stood out to you that you particularly enjoyed? Oh, my favorite thing is Sarah. I think she's adorable. She's my favorite. Her obsession with Thor is the best thing ever. And I'm glad it ended up being Thor because originally in the script, uh, he wrote her to be obsessed with Dan Rather, the Dan news guy. That's a, that's a newsreader, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> um, but the studio wanted comic book characters. Um, and I've ha- I read some conflicting information. Some places said they looked at she- uh, He-Man and She-Ra. Um, but Chris Columbus specifically said, you know, they he was a huge Marvel fan. And that's why they went with Thor. Right. So there's that. Although watching it now after just having watched Endgame, <laughs> you know, it, it was fantastic because I'm just like so much Thor love. <laughs> And everything that I'm doing right now, it's great. I mean, do you believe that Mr. Dawson is Thor? (laughs) No, I I think that he was just this... His his heart grew three sizes by Sarah's adoration of him, and he played along, is what I think. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think that all leads into what I think the theme of the movie is, and... It's all about having random acts of kindness in the tough, tough city. Oh, make it okay. Mm. Oh, I like that. Because, like, that's seriously, like, how they survive. It's just, like, uh, Pruitt is like, oh, I'll get you a tire. And, and then, like, Joe Gibb is like, oh, don't worry. You know, I don't want to, you, I don't want to leave you on the streets to get killed, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like, they keep hitting all of these random acts of kindness and, and then Sarah presents herself a random act of kindness to Mr. Dawson being like, here, you can have my favorite thing ever in the whole world because you're my hero. And he's just like, oh. fine, you can go. Yes, I am mm-hmm. touched. So it's like they keep passing along mm. the being nice in this city, which is, as we were talking about, very shitty, you know, with its 17-year-old prostitutes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. She melts Vincent D'Onofrio's heart. It's lovely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so it's just, we all just need to be nice to each mm. other. Uh, and that in some ways is what separates it from something like Ferris Bueller, which is about this mm. snarky kid who lies and yeah, yeah, just deceives everyone. And it's ah. and then in this, it, it is just lots of niceness. I mean, there's some gun shootouts and people almost falling off buildings and so on. But the, the heart yeah. of it is much better. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, there are terrible people, but then you can also see that you don't have to be a terrible person. Mm. It's like presented as like when you're an adult, you have a choice. Mm. Absolutely. There was a lovely comment, Mandy, from our friend Josie at Jossbot7. She said that if if it was your first introduction to any version of Thor, I believe it increases the possibility of enjoyment threefold. Also, if you live near Chicago, and also if you had those red leather trainers. So that may be ninefold. (laughs) <laughs> she followed up and pointed out their pleather <laughs> which oh. okay <laughs> i didn't notice the trainers the first time i did the second time nice mm. i did notice them because they they lingered on everybody's shoes at various times throughout the movie oh, i don't know all, like, why climbing in the rafters I, I found myself really loving sarah's skates i had a pair of those skates. Oh, really <laughs> the, the kind that you wore over your shoes mm. that was very nostalgic for me i mean they were death traps but <laughs> i had them <laughs> The bit that I really enjoy in this film is right towards the end as they're trying to head home. And the parents have left the party before them and before they've resolved everything. Mm-hmm. And they end up driving past the parents. And it actually made me laugh out loud where they see them and they go, quick, everyone duck. And even the girl <laughs> driving ducks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then Brenda is just all passed out in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the line of, you know, how fast do your parents drive? Oh, about 45. We'll do 80. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it works yeah it it yeah. felt fairly extreme but i really did quite like it and, and you you then get the typical shot of the parents go oh, look at kid you know people driving like that oh don't want our kids in cars like that oh. <laughs> 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 if, only if only they, they knew, knew. <laughs> <laughs> yep did you want to talk about brenda there or did we cover that uh, we covered that yeah brenda's also okay awesome. 
I, I just, I just love the whole, all the sequences in the bus stop. Just, they're so silly. And it really feels like we're, we're completely in her point of view of what she's scared of, but isn't necessarily what's real. I love when she thinks she's gone blind. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's wearing the sunglasses instead yeah. of her glasses. And then she finds the kitten. Oh, God. The cute little kitten. <laughs> Turns out to be a very clean rat. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting it to look completely different when they finally showed it. And then it was just like a lab rat. Yeah. You know. The pet rat. Mm, little albino, yeah. I think. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about adventures and babysitting? Um, I and this viewing was really surprised of how good and intricate the music was. Like for a first time director, I think he had like, I don't know, it seemed like a really good music budget. <laughs> Do you mean like the score, the use of pop music? Uh, yes, the use of pop music. Mm. Yeah, because it comes in with that song right at the beginning, which is a great earworm, mm-hmm. and it's really positive. And then throughout, you get these beats of interesting songs going on. Yeah, and even like the song, the the band at the party. They've got the the blues band. They've got you know songs. They've got Iggy Pop. They've got Rolling Stones. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked up on any of that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, so, I am pop culturally deprived. <laughs> I'm just all honed in on the the all the details now <laughs> yeah I, I mean i recognized the song at the beginning um and i really enjoyed the song at the party mm-hmm. i i remember i turned to my boyfriend and i said is it actually a thing was it a thing to go to parties where there was a live band because that's not something i've ever experienced he says yes it's a thing <laughs> but okay um so i i did notice the, the music there just because i enjoyed it um but through most of the rest of it i i noticed there were songs that's all I got. It, the band is definitely the thing that tells you this is a posh, rich, white boy fraternity type. Mm-hmm. You know, they are splashing okay. the cash to show off their party. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when, you know, fake Paul Rudd is willing to give a random stranger $50. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, no problem. Like, as soon as she's like, oh, I need $50. He's like, what? No problem. Whatever. I'll just go ask my friends. And then he can't. Right? <laughs> They don't have $50. <laughs> they got most of it. I mean, I mean, at least he didn't try to sign over a check for a hot dog. <laughs> oh, my God. Like sign over a signed over check for a hot dog. Brilliant. Yeah. Everybody in their checks in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I feel like that's how you know they're from the suburbs. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. It, it's another movie that potentially doesn't work in an era with cell phones. Yeah. Uber solves a lot of these problems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you still have to have money to pay for the Uber. Yeah. Yeah, but it just just comes out of an account. You don't have to have cash. Yeah. It's already linked (laughs) to a credit card. Yeah. But if you didn't want your mom to know that, you know, because there probably wouldn't be their own credit cards. Yeah. You know, I do wish we had gotten some sort of resolution to Brenda's story other than you have to go home now. I don't want to (laughs) go home. Too bad. Go home and shove her out the door. Oh, that's you know, right. This whole movie away. was about trying to save her because she ran away, and then we get nothing. Mm. That would have been nice. Uh, yeah, you're right. Because th- there's not even anything that she's learned from the experience. She herself is a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Brenda is going to have like years of therapy. <laughs> yeah, <now. laughs> clearly. <laughs> I th- I think that's what she's learned is just like I am safe and protected in my parents' house because the world out there is very, very scary. Mm. Yeah, she might still be living with her parents. Yeah, she'll never leave again. Yeah. <laughs> so, Justine, you have seen my list. Do you have any other recommendations for me? Oh, my goodness. I, I Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> that is putting me on the spot. Have you seen anything in your show that you've particularly enjoyed that defies the genre and sets it apart? Um. Yeah, there's definitely been a few. And, I mean, we just talked about how we just watched... Down with Love, which Ashley and I had never seen before, which is, I think, most of the movies we cover. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I saw that one in the theaters. I just, I, you should rewatch it because it still lives up to today, mm-hmm. is what I'm going to say. Okay. It's fantastic. No, because it's like such a, a take on 
toxic masculinity and you know it's just like all the showboating while still being like a, a genre film it's it to us as like filmmakers it was incredible okay. you know <laughs> right hmm. yeah that's one that's one i haven't seen so one we could uh, chuck on my list oh yeah mm. we should absolutely do that we're gonna have to have another matthew month coming up soon um, we're doing in July or August, one of the months of summer, we're doing reverse PCD where all of the movies are ones I've seen and Matthew hasn't. And they tend to skew rom-com, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to 13 going on 30, I'll tell you that. I know. Ooh, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> what? I don't know. We we will be covering that movie this year because it's uh, 2004. And- okay. That's where we are currently. <laughs> currently in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> it's not. It is not great. I keep trying to tell Matthew that, but he doesn't believe me. I don't think he trusts my taste in movies. <laughs> well, there is that, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Justine, thank you so much for joining us. This was a huge amount of fun. Thank you for bringing Adventures and Babysitting, because it's fun and it's silly. Oh, that's what I always hope to be, fun and silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people find you online? Where, they can, where can they find your show? Yeah, I co-host the Cutaways podcast. You can find us at thecutaways.com, at Cutaways podcast on all social media and, you know, all of your favorite podcatchers. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Mixtape Montage. Nice. That is a wonderful name. <laughs> yeah, go check Thank it out. Thank you. <laughs> we are 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to check out our homepage, eloquentgushing.com, where you can find all of our other shows. We'll be back next week with another episode where we'll talk about Saved with Diana from the Happily Ever Aftermath podcast. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I have got the babysitting blues. (laughs) That went down well. (laughs) That was great. He's chuckling in the background. I like that. I was laughing just silently. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing on the inside.